Welcome to the Standard Deviations Podcast, presented by Orion Advisor Solutions and hosted by Dr. Daniel Crosby, Orion's Chief Behavioral Officer and New York Times bestselling author. Each week, Dr. Crosby interviews a fascinating new guest on a range of compelling topics, from literature to psychology to financial wellness. To learn more about Dr. Crosby's behavioral finance work at Orion, visit www.orion.com. Hello, and welcome to the Standard Deviations podcast. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby, and I'm joined today by Laura Larios, who is the founder and CEO of a highly sought-after consulting and coaching brand that delivers world-class nervous system support for ultra-ambitious executives and entrepreneurs. Her work focuses on showing top-tier performers how to sustain peak performance without anxiety, overwhelm, and burnout. Uh, which is, I think, something we could all use a little bit more of after the uh, last couple of years we've had. She's a top uh, go-to coach for folks in Silicon Valley and has expertise in polyvagal theory, neuroplasticity, marketing, psychology, somatic experiencing, mindfulness, and neuroscience. Uh, She lives in San Francisco with her husband, who's from Spain, and has a passion for travel, architecture, music, neuroscience, and old film. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So, uh, greatest old film of all time. We're going to start off on a on a oh. fun. <laughs> oh man, you really got. Well, first of all, I have to name my, my the film I was named after, which is Laura, um, the film noir. I think it's nineteen forty four. I believe that's one of my favorite films. I guess also because I was named after it. But such great storytelling, uh, very suspenseful, and just. Yeah. And then I also, I would have to say Rear Window is another one. The depth of psychology in that film. I just love it. It all takes place in one room and the editing and the cinematography. I just, yeah, great films. My kids are my, well, a couple, uh, two, two of my kids are getting, two of my three kids are getting to the age now where they can watch Hitchcock movies. And it's so fun. You know, it's so fun to be able, like a whole new world opens up when you can stop watching you know, Caillou, you start watching, start watching Hitchcock with your kids. That's a, it's a good day for me. Oh yeah. My mom was so excited when we finally reached that age because she really loves film instead of my grandfather. So it was like, oh, okay, good. Now I can really start showing you the, the movies like the Maltese Falcon and specifically my grandfather. He was very into film noir. So I, I grew up on uh, with a big sleep and, um, you know, not like, like a lot of typical kid, you know, younger uh, younger people movies, but yeah. I'm really thankful for it because there was a lot of good storytelling and depth to those films. So. <laughs> so I used to be a screener for the Atlanta Film Festival and like mm. just one of the whatever, like the very early judges where you would rate all the films and wow. work just kind of took over. And I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do it in the last couple of years. And I, I just regret that so much. And it's just it's just such a, a great passion of mine, one one that we share for sure. So we were uh, introduced by former guest and friend of the show, Emily Bender. If you if you haven't listened to Emily Bender's episode, go back and go back and check that out. That's B I N D E R. Uh, but Emily had wonderful things to say to you, but I uh, say about you. But but I have to admit, Laura, when when we were introduced, I had never met anyone who did quite what you do which is attend almost exclusively to the nervous system. So because I don't imagine I'm a- alone and in, in being in the dark about uh, your type of work, 
Can you start with a high-level overview of the importance of the nervous system and why you've dedicated your life to, to studying it and, and intervening in this way? Yeah, great question. And you're right. A lot of it, it's, it's starting to become a little more known now. But in general, even when I was studying psychology myself in college, this was not really talked about. We kind of briefly touched on the brain and, you know, the central nervous system, but there wasn't an emphasis on or really like a deep in-depth study of the autonomic nervous system, which is where my specialty is. So, Nate, your autonomic nervous system is part of your peripheral nervous system, which comprises of these two branches. Most people, you know, we have no sympathetic and parasympathetic, parasympathetic. <laughs> um, and these two branches play an important role in, you know, um, balancing and regulating your body's energy, monitoring threats, initiating a response. So the autonomic nervous system takes care of your body's basic needs, such as your breathing rate, your temperature, heart rate, digestion, all these things that we don't even have to think about. That's why it's autonomic, meaning automatic. And so when you're, for example, when you're, your sympathetic nervous system is engaged due to ongoing stress, so we need sympathetic, which is that fight or flight, like to, you know, to get away from a threat or to fight a threat. But when it's engaged ongoing, so blood drains from your brain down into your heart and in your lung area in order to mobilize. And so this makes it then virtually really difficult to learn new, like, like learn new things, focus on small tasks or engage with others while you're in this state, because the primary role of this time is to just, you know, fight the threat or flee from the threat or maybe even freeze. Like some people kind of just freeze or shut down. And so it's, it's, it's prioritizing. It's going, okay, we're going to conserve energy here. So we don't need so much blood up here in the brain. We're bringing it down here into the heart, into the lung area. So this is why when you're in a stress state, it's very often very challenging to concentrate, listen, or effectively communicate. And so I really got so excited about learning about this because when I was studying psychology, I was studying a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy which is basically a form of mindset work where you talk about your traumas and you, the therapist is trying to reframe things for you in a new way so that you're no longer sort of haunted by this these traumatic events in your life. However, when I was when I was in school and, and studying this methodology, which does have its place, absolutely, it can be very helpful for people. However, there was kind of like an invisible wall, though, where I was seeing that even for myself and even some of the colleagues I was in, in school with that I was like, we're kind of there, there's something else here that I can't quite figure out what it is. It's kind of like almost like no matter how much I talk about it, it's still there. Like it's not like leaving. And this is when I got really curious and I started looking at polyvagal theory, which really goes into like these hierarchical states of the nervous system. So it goes even deeper than just sympathetic and parasympathetic. It's like these hierarchical states, which I'll just briefly explain now. So you have the the ventral vagal system, which is your system of connection. So this is what facilitates your cognitive functioning. You, you can meet the demands of the day. You can go with the flow. You can easily focus. You're open-minded. There's a you, there's a feeling of being engaged with life. You can discern what is aligned with your values. Uh, critical thinking is more online, which is actually your moneymaker. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, it's easier to make intelligent long-term decisions from when you're in a ventral vagal state and your ability to see the bigger picture. So, and then you go down the autonomic ladder, which is more in a sympathetic state. And most people are familiar with this one, which is fight or flight. So this is when you're filled with chaotic energy. You have this drive to escape something. You feel anxious, maybe angry. There, like Maybe you're consistently checking the market or your portfolio expecting like hits of adrenaline. 
there's an impatience. Um, sometimes you're overcommitting to some things, rushing to conclusions, ruminating about events or mistakes over and over and over. Impulsivity, uh, making hasty decisions and got to do everything right now. Everything feels extremely urgent when you're in a sympathetic state. And then you're in the dorsal vagal shutdown, which is like the next phase of the system to fight off the threat, which is at this point, you're just going through the motions. You've got drained energy. You're feeling disconnected. You're kind of giving up. You're like a numbness, apathy, fogginess, putting off decisions. You're overthinking things as well. So these are the different hierarchical states. And so this state follows story. So whatever state you're in, it's going to determine when what story your brain is going to tell you about what's going on. Well, let's let's make this a little more concrete, right? Let's make yeah. this a little more concrete. This is some pretty pretty heady stuff. <laughs> so let's talk about this story state and how it impacts your your nervous system. So let's you know take the average listener of my show, yeah. who is a financial advisor who's worried about keeping her clients calm. Right. During what has been a period of enormous market volatility this year, you know, by some measures, the worst year effectively ever for, for yeah. a balanced portfolio. Cognitive behavioral therapy, as you've said, right, mm -hmm. is, is about changing mindsets. Yeah. So CBT has this sort of ABC model. Yeah. You've got the activating event is the A, you've got the belief about the, the event is the B, and then the C is the consequence. And mm -hmm. so if you have a catastrophic belief or sort of an, uh, you know, an overzealously negative belief about that, that activating event, then you're going to have a negative consequence. So the CBT therapist says, let's intervene at point B. If we can change your mind and, and sort of your association with this, we can yeah. change the consequences. How would someone like yourself work with that same client? And, and why do you think the nervous system work comes even before changing mindset? Yeah, great, great question. So, well, so because our psych psychological well-being is actually governed by our physiology. And the reason for this is because 80% of nerves and neural information is traveling actually up from the body to the brain. So it's your body that's informing your brain. For a long time, we thought it was the brain informing the body. And that does, about 10, 20% of your brain is informing the body. So your thoughts, emotions, beliefs, behaviors all follow what is happening here in your nervous system state or in your body. So mindset work, like you just mentioned, only engages the cognitive, like prefrontal cortex part of the brain. So, but in order to get there, we first have to address what's happening in the body. So if you're flooded with stress chemistry, like most people are these days, based on the amount of volatility and uncertainty, which also human beings, we, we do not like uncertainty. We, um, it, it signals threat to us. So most of us are in a state of a lot of like, uh, you know, filled with adrenaline or this feeling of anxiety or worry. And so we have to address that physio physiology that's happening first before we can address the actual beliefs because the prefrontal cortex isn't even fully online. So trying to talk someone into a different like belief about what's happening, you're not communicating to the right part of the brain like the limbic system, which is the emotional part of the brain and the nervous system. So what you want to do then as a financial advisor is first to acknowledge the state of your client's experience, which is right now, like there's a lot of sympathetic energy and or there could be a lot of what's also called freeze energy, which is this blended state of like, 
I have to, but I can't. So it's almost like you have the accelerator on and you have the brake at the same time. So like there's this feeling like I need to get away from the threat, but I also my system doesn't know how or doesn't know what to do. So it's freezing. And so acknowledging that first (laughs) and maybe even helping them name the state. So that's why I talk to a lot of investors or people in financial. So they just get get to understand this language a little bit. Um, you don't have to like become obviously a nervous system expert for your clients, but just kind of like, hey, you know, you're a little bit of a, I feel like you're maybe a little bit of a sympathetic response right now, which makes sense. And also validating that experience for them. That's your physiology sort of taking over right now. And then so providing context for what's happening is really helpful for people. And that's the three C's we talk about in polyvagal theory, which is choice, connection, and context. So adding some context context for what's happening for the thoughts Providing context, also even what's going on in the market right now, this is where having an, an advisor is so helpful because you, someone can provide you with that context. Um, providing you with choice, maybe letting you know what uh, what choices are available to you at that time. Uh, and then providing connection as well. That's the really big one. I think for financial advisors right now is really being able to listen and attune and and validate your client's experience and also keeping your nervous system as regulated as possible because anytime you're interfacing with your client, they you're, our nervous systems mirror each other because of neurons. So the state of your system, Daniel, when you're talking to someone else, that other person that's listening to you speak, their nervous system is picking up on your system. So there's a mirroring effect that's happening. So if you hire an advisor and you're in a really sympathetic state and then you're talking to a client who's also sympathetic, like, that's not going to be a good combination of conversation. And so tr- trying to have trying to bring your system as much into that ventral vagal state as possible so that your client's nervous system can mirror to that is extremely helpful. So y- you are giving me, you're giving me gems here and I'm I'm taking notes. I want to, I want to circle back on a couple of these because I think they're they're super, they're super helpful. So one thing that you said that I that I want to reinforce because I'm a big believer is that your physical state really does a ton to drive your mental state. Now, there's a level at which it's reciprocal, of course, and there's sort of some some interactive effects there. But, you know, when I was doing therapy, this was the most overlooked and the most powerful piece of the puzzle for the average person who presents to a psychotherapist's office. You know, you're going to say something like, I think you should eat differently. You know, I think you should... You know, I think you should moderate your your intake of of sugar or caffeine as I sit here and drink a giant uh, Diet Coke, you know, and I, you know, or caffeine. Yeah, caffeine or, or sugar or alcohol or, you know, what substances, whatever, whatever it may be. Or, you know, I think you should go walk in the sun for, mm-hmm. for 30 minutes a day or I think you should exercise. And, you know, Laura, people always thought that was so dumb. Like, I don't know how to, I mean, I just feel like people were always looking for um, maybe like a loftier, more cerebral fix. And of course, I mean, there were other things that we would work on and there were mm-hmm. there were more sort of overtly therapeutic things that we would work on. Yeah. But I want to spend a minute on this because I think financial advisors, some of the advice that they should be giving their clients mm-hmm. is stuff like, go for a walk or drink less or exercise more. Yeah. Um, that's not what people expect from their financial advisor. But if mm-hmm. but if a client comes to you panicked, that's yeah. a very reasonable thing and a very scientific thing to say to them. Any, do you have any advice for how to deliver this sort of body first messaging to people who are 
mm-hmm. undergoing what is sort of ostensibly a, a mental, a, a, a period of stress and not a period of physical dysfunction? Yeah, that, that's a really great question because I, I run into this a lot too, where, you know, in the beginning, I remember when I was bringing this, this work and like merging with business and working with these high level executives who were very cerebral and like trying to bring advice, like, go take a walk. They look at me all perplexed. Like, what do you mean take a walk? Like, so um, I think in the beginning, it starts with first, I think what's helpful is bringing a little bit of the neuroscience. So sometimes I, I will do this with clients where I'll be like, okay, I want you to slowly move your eyes around the room for a minute. Like, just do that. And then, and I tell them, as they're doing it, I provide them with the context of why they're doing it. I'll be like, well, right now, because you're slowly moving your eyes, you're sending a signal to your amygdala, which is your threat you know, threat detector that you're not in danger. And so some of that stress chemistry is going to lower. So providing context also for why you're doing the thing is also really helpful for those that are really in their, their head about stuff. And I would also say that I always, I always said, look, like, just like, give it a try. Like, just be curious, right? Like, so like, let's just try this for like a week where you just, um, uh, you know, you try some of these exercises out and you just notice, does anything change? Like, does anything feel different now when you look at that number or you, you know, you open up your portfolio, like, does anything look or feel different when you've eaten breakfast versus when you haven't eaten breakfast? Does anything feel or look different when you haven't had that second cup of coffee when you're looking at it versus, you know, when you do, I just kind of get curious and see if there is any, any difference. And most people, I would say 90% of the time they do notice a difference. So, yeah. I, I, re- I really like both of those suggestions. What, you know, one being sort of couch it in the I- empiricism, yeah. right? Couch yeah. it in the science, yes. you know, be prepared to say, look, you know, people who take a walk are X percent, you know, X percent reduction in stress, uh, X percent increase in wellness, whatever it is. Yeah. And then just say, Hey, look, if you don't trust the science, give it a try. Exactly. Go on a walk, you know, go on a walk for 30 minutes a day uh, this week. And then let me know how it goes. If you hate it, you know, no harm, no foul. <laughs> exactly. I like, exactly. I, I like that because it is, it is a, it is an important message, but I, but I do think it's, it's not why people go see a financial advisor. <laughs> no, uh, the second thing that you talked about that I thought was so, so prescient was sort of advisor wellness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think about the average advisor who is seeing, I don't know, 25 or 30 clients a week, probably, right? So 25 or 30 clients a week are coming through their office. And in a year like this, those clients are more often than not going to be in, have, have some level of stress or, or upset. Yeah. You know, I've been very transparent about my reasons for, for leaving the psychotherapy profession many years ago. It was stress contagion. It was an, an, an inability to sort of put appropriate boundaries between, between myself and the client. And I just burned out like very quickly. We also know from research done by Brad Klontz and colleagues that coming out of the great financial crisis, the vast preponderance of financial professionals they surveyed showed evidence of anxiety, depression, and in some cases, even PTSD uh, because of what they had been through. So, you know, what what sort of practical tips do you have for the average advisor who is, in a very real sense, you talked about the mirror neurons and the ways that we're sort of wired to pick up on the energy that the person sitting across from us is giving off. Yeah. Uh, in a bad year like this, uh, advisors are picking up a lot of bad energy. What What sort of advice would you have for them? 
Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, because it all really does start with like, even like when I work with coaches or leaders of companies, or right? it's like, let's start with you first. And then because there's a ripple effect to then like your clients or your team, right? So and you do have to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to have as much access to your own like rational thought and your ability to think critically and plan for your clients. So I would say, first off, before you meet with any client, like anyone that comes into your your office or your Zoom call, is to, first of all, make sure you're not doing back-to-back calls. So, you know, having a little bit, I would say maybe 10-minute window between each call. So you have some time to regulate your own nervous system in between each of the calls. Because I know some people just do back-to-back and it just gets really exhausting very quickly. And then, so having those breaks, in between those breaks, you know, doing something like some of these neuro exercises that actually only take maybe one to three minutes to do. And there's, there's something that you can do at your desk. So you don't even have to go outside, although that's preferable, of course, if you can get out in the sun and get a little bit of air fresh air. But if you can't, then I would say, you know, at your desk, one of the things you could do is actually just, you know, I'm going to share an exercise now where you keep your head straight, but you look all the way peripherally to your right and you just hold that for 30 seconds or so. Yeah. I do the same thing on the left and hold that for like 30 seconds. And so this is engaging the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve that runs from the base of the, the brain stem all the way, like actually all goes into your throat and then goes onto your heart and it goes all the way down to your digestive tract. So it's this really amazing wandering nerve that informs the system. Like it basically holds, like puts on the brakes a little bit. So like if you were in a really sympathetic state, it's like adding a little bit of brake. So if you just talk to a client who's like really just, you know, spinning out, and your nervous system picked up on that spinning out, like then like after that call, you probably need a little bit of break, not slamming on the brakes, maybe just kind of adding a little bit of break. And that's what that's doing is so, and then just noticing what, how do you feel after that? You might feel like maybe, and it's not going to be going from a hundred to zero. You might feel like, okay, I was at a hundred and now maybe I'm at going like 70. And you're kind of pacing yourself through the day. And you're also sending cues of safety because part of what's also happening in these exchanges maybe with your clients is your system is picking up on a lot of danger. Look, look at their facial expressions. Look at their tone of voice. Like they're they're really like stressed. And so your system is saying, okay, we need to be stressed too, right? Again, that mirroring effect. So it's picking up all these cues of danger. So you have to give it a cue of safety. And that's one cue is like looking peripherally. Another cue is like I mentioned, like looking around your room for like maybe 30 seconds, like getting your eyes off the screen and like just slowly moving your eyes around the room. And I have a couple more, but just like doing these, like maybe one to two minutes is really, really going to be supportive to your system. And there's others, like I said, but those are some things. And so now we're going to challenge all the listeners to, <laughs> to do what we were challenging the clients to do, which is to, you know, talk about, listen to the exercises that you just talked about mm-hmm. and then put those, put those into play. You know, I've talked about um, in some of my speaking before, I've talked about this, this idea of what I call River Jordan problems. And so there's this, there's this story in the Bible where this powerful civic leader is like this centurion. He's a leader of army. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's doing all these great things, but he has leprosy, right? And so he, he's, yeah, has this horrible skin condition and he goes to his holy man and the holy man says, Hey, to be cured of this, go bathe yourself seven times in the River Jordan. And the guy comes back, this powerful Naaman was his name, this powerful civic leader comes back and goes, that's dumb. Like, you know, like the River, you know, the River, 
the River Jordan's gross. Like the River Jordan's ugly. Like I got better rivers closer to me. What's that going to do? And, you know, one of his servants says, look, if he had asked you to do something hard, like you would have done it. So just give it a shot. And, you know, he does and he's, he's healed. I think sometimes when people give us simple suggestions, like the ones you just did, you know, about, you know, looking to the left, looking to the right, you know, do going for a walk, doing some of these things we've talked about, we can kind of poo poo them because they, they feel overly simplistic, but I think it's, it's, you know, it doesn't always have to be complicated to have a profound impact. Oh, hundred percent. And actually I would say the majority of my clients, when they tell me, when they start to work with me, like, wait, but this is so simple. Like, shouldn't it be more complex than this? Shouldn't it be more steps? And this is where it really gets interesting because the nervous system is such a, it's just a very, it's a complex system, but it's also a very simplistic system. It's, it either detects something as a threat or it's safe, like safe or dangerous. That's it. It only sees it two ways. There's no middle ground when it comes to the autonomic nervous system. So that's a very simplistic system. If you think about it, just two ways. And then also we're at a time right now where we're on information overload and we have more information than ever. Technology is moving at a very fast, rapid pace, faster than our nervous systems, I think sometimes can always keep up with, but it's, so in that then our system's kind of overloaded and it's trying to conserve energy. So the more simplistic you make something, the easier also for your brain and your body to cooperate with it. Because right now, if you're trying to give it like, like right now, if I said, oh, Daniel, go so do you, so after each call, you're going to close your door and you're going to meditate for 30 minutes and you're going to get into this really calm state. Your system is going to say, hell no. I mean, heck no. Like, it's just not going to do that. Like, because it, first off, there's multiple reasons for it. But if you're in a sympathetic state, you also can't just go right into a calm state and like try to meditate. That's actually going to be counterproductive. Actually can cue more anxiety. But also it's like, we don't have 30 minutes. Like, I don't have 30. I got to conserve. I got That's going to take a lot of energy and time. So not going to do that. That's why a lot of people don't end up doing some of these more longer sort of self quote unquote self-care routines because the system is prioritizing survival and it's going, we don't have resources for that right now, even if it might be good for us. Yeah. Um, so I keep everything like with my clients, like one to two minutes, this will take you one to two minutes. And um, so maybe at the max throughout the day, you're doing 15 minutes. Like if you're doing it consistently, like every couple of hours, and that seems more manageable to our system. And also because we notice a difference after we do these exercises as well, usually we notice like some degree of change. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big fan of mental models, sort of any kind of mental lattice work we can, we can use to, to take these complicated ideas we're talking about today and make them work in our lives. I picked up on your 3C model there. Am I, mm. I, I was furiously taking those. So <laughs> choice Choice, connection, and context. Are those in, did I say yeah. those in the right order or is there an order? There's not really an order. It just, the, the, those are the three C's for how our nervous systems feel safe is through okay. con- context, connection, and choice. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about them then. I, I, I want to spend a little bit of time because I think the listeners will, will benefit from, from this. In terms of connection, mm-hmm. right? There's so much good re- research on this in, in the field of financial advice. We talk, I talk about this endlessly on this show. Uh, anything else to say there, just in terms of, you know, if you're sitting across from a client, mm-hmm. is it really just empathy, listening, connecting to help them sort of have that first, uh, that, that first C to, to feel, help their nervous system feel safe? 
Yes. So it's actually, so at first it's there. It's a lot of listening, attuning, and validating. Because oftentimes they also don't see a lot of people validating someone's experience. And it's sometimes unconscious. We just go, we want to go right to the solution, right? So someone's coming to us with an issue, like, I'm really worried. I think we should sell now. I, I you know, I'm, I'm losing all my money, like whatever the, the thought process might be, because they're in a sympathetic state. And then maybe as the advisor, you're like, no, no, everything's fine. I think, you know, you're overreacting. You know, the market's full of volatile right now. We're just kind of going right, like kind of high bypassing the emotional experience of this person. And we're not doing it intentionally. It's just something maybe when we were taught or something that the same person gave us that advice when we were in the same place, right? But actually slowing it down because your, your client is in a very revved up state. So by you kind of slowing it down a little bit by reflecting back, and validating what it is they're experiencing. That doesn't mean that is the truth, but it's like when people feel, but you feel heard, right? Like, oh, I can understand why this would be really like anxiety provoking for you. Yeah, so we have at Orion, we have uh, a course of sort of this free CE course where we give five steps for talking to clients, sort of talking clients off a ledge. Yeah. And the first two steps are empathize, which most people are like, yep, get it, yep. right? Empathize. The second step is normalize. Mm -hmm. and that's where I think, um, that's where I think a lot of people fall down yeah. because I think the immediate impulse is, okay, we listen, we hear, and then we go, no, 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 no. Like you have nothing, like you have nothing to be worried about. Stop doing this. You know, and we sort of rush in and, and invalidate after having listened and you know, it's important to me that that I work with the advisors that I work with to say, there's a difference between normalizing a behavior and saying you should do it forever, right? Like someone could yes. be making, mm -hmm. someone could have the very real impulse to want to sell everything they've ever invested. Mm -hmm. That is a normal and in some ways sensible position, yeah. given what we know about how humans are wired, our distaste for uncertainty, you know, yeah. our asymmetrical risk preferences, like all the things that we know about how people are wired, you can normalize that and say, look, yes, I, I get it. It is scary. I'm scared too. Like, yeah. and you can normalize that and then go on to say, mm -hmm. you know, and I still think you shouldn't do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Like you can, you can empathize with that. You can normalize that experience and say not every emotion you have is an adaptive emotion. Not every impulse is one you want to follow, but you still need to normalize that experience and help them know that they're not crazy for thinking that way, even if acting that way is suboptimal. Off my soapbox now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So so good. That, that's exactly it. Yes. And so and we need that. And for a lot of people, a lot of clients I work with, I find that, and this goes back to even early childhood, so in some aspects of like never getting that validation. So it's interesting how when even just like speaking to your financial advisor, not that you have to be a therapist, but like there's just something so um, healing and like restorative to the system. It's like, oh wait, I'm being heard. Like someone's hearing me and seeing me. And they're not trying to rush me along or trying to ignore like what I'm experiencing. And that sends, a, again, a cue of safety of the system, which once the system gets that cue, then those other higher regions of the brain that like the rational thinking and the critical thinking is more available. So also like trying to talk your client down off a ledge when they're in a really heightened state, you're, it's kind of counterintuitive. You got to deal with the state first on some level. And one of the ways to do that is through validating and through connection and through your own system being more stabilize, so to speak, so they can pick up on that and go, okay, everything's cool. Like, I'm not, 
I'm not alone in this essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, ab- absolutely. So that's, so that's the, that's the first, we'll call it the first C of connection. Mm-hmm. The next, the next one I want to talk about is context. Is this where you name the state? Talk to me a little bit more about, about context and how a financial professional would give some context. Yeah. So one of them definitely could be naming the state. So for, for my clients, what I have them do is like name it out loud even sometimes. So like if they, and one of the ways you start to do this, you can map your system. So like there'll be like a list of like things like I listed earlier about the sympathetic state where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to, for example, like I have this drive right now to escape or like I feel like there were a lot of impatience right now. I'm feeling kind of irritable, like all these kind of check marks to go, okay, I feel like I'm a little bit of a sympathetic state right now. And then knowing that, okay, name the state, like, oh, your 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 heart rate is going faster, or you're not taking as full of breath. Okay, that that's all makes sense because you're in a sympathetic state. So saying that kind of out loud, or even if if you're if you're a financial advisor and you can talk to your client, like, okay, you're a little bit of activation right now, which is again totally normal. <laughs> your system is doing exactly what it needs to be doing because it's, it's perceiving a threat right now, and so that helps to contextualize the experience a little bit. That it almost then feels like it's. Um, I know what's happening because oftentimes what provokes more anxiety is when we don't know what's happening and why it's happening. So when providing context for the physical or emotional reaction that they're having is an actual a physiological one that makes sense, kind of helps to bring um, the system down a little bit as well. So yeah, naming, naming, we all get to know, really know our clients really well. So if you're a financial advisor, you probably have worked with some of your clients for maybe most, most time it's been years. So you really get to know and understand their patterns. And so that'll be really helpful to maybe even kind of keeping track. It's really interesting. I have a few clients like they know immediately who the first people are going to contact them as soon as the market like takes a dip, right? Like they're going to get that call within 30 seconds and so or a minute or whatever. And then you know, this person's going to be in a very activated state. So the first thing I want to do is I like, kind of call that out, number one, and just say, hey, like I get it. You just saw this happen and like, you're, you're you're getting mobilized energy right now, so let's 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 deal with like kind of like deal with that state first for a minute. Is that okay? And then we can go into like what we can do about this, and I can talk to you about options or provide more context for what's going on. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful uh, suggestion. This context piece, because in a moment of anxiety there's a groundlessness and a formlessness and sort of a spinning. That that accompanies anxiety. And I think you just need to set your feet a little bit. And you know, being able to to give people that context you you talked about is powerful. You know, when I was a therapist, there was this intervention that I always found corny, but definitely worked. And it was having people sort of embody their presenting concern. So like someone would come in with depression. And you would say, like, you know, what color is it? Like, what form is it? How tall is it? How wide is it? You know, what's its name? What does it look like? Draw it. Draw it for me. And I was too cool to do that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was 23 years old and I, you know, I don't know. I was, you know, we could could talk later about the advisability of having a 23-year-old tell people how to live their lives. But... You know, I, 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 at first I found this kind of a ridiculous exercise, mm-hmm. but it totally worked. Like, you know, it just, it just took people out of that sort of spinning place, that contextless, formless place. 
yeah. and allowed them to sort of embody this this thing that they were feeling. And then you could sort of talk about how to attack it. So I, I love that suggestion. And then the last piece is, is choice. And this makes sense to me because, again, with this spinning, with this lack of direction, yeah. I think there can come this feeling of impasse or this feeling of hopelessness. And so next you say, talk, talk to me about choice. Yeah, choice is a really big one because oftentimes when we've experienced, let's say trauma, and we've all experienced some level of trauma, it could be big T trauma, little T, whatever. But, you know, they can even talk about PTSD within like the markets crashing or falling. I mean, so that there's a, that's an aspect of trauma there. there. One component of trauma is feeling like we had no choice. So we were in a situation where it happened very quickly and very fast, very intensely, and there was no choice in the matter, or at least the, there was a perceived no option at that time or in that a moment. And so one way that you sort of begin to, again, offer uh, signal more safety to it, to the system in something that maybe is like the system is perceiving as unsafe is to add in some level of choice. So for example, like if you're talking with a client, instead of just like, offering like one option for them, maybe offer like two or three options. Not too many though. This is also where we get tricky. We want to give choice, but not so many choices that people then get overwhelmed. So like offering like two or three different options. And so then people feel like they're not so kind of constrained or trapped or like everything's happening to them, right? Like, oh, I, I do have choice in this. Even if the market's volatile, I still have a choice in like what I want to do about, like what I want to do in the situation. So I'm not helpless. Like, and then that nothing signals more lack of safety to us of feeling like we're not in control or that we're helpless. So offering some type of choice and that, that's going to look different from person to person. Um, but I would say, I would say offer more and choice is not just like one option. It's usually like two or three different options or things that you can present to somebody. And I would say also that with this market volatility, that's always going to be there. We're never going to change that aspect of the market. <laughs> But what we can do is put ourselves more in the driver's seat of our own sort of nervous system responses. So this is also where I help my clients with the choice aspect of you can change your state right now. You don't, you're not a victim, quote unquote, victim to what is happening even internally. Like, yes, your system's responding how it should, but we, the system's also malleable and is changeable. So there's things we can do to introduce to the system so that it, you feel like you're more in the driver's seat, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think this is another really excellent suggestion, if only because it conforms all of my own biases and, and my own <laughs> model. The last, the last piece of this model that I've this five-part model that I've that I've talked about is process. And it's it's effectively giving folks two choices. Mm -hmm. Now, why not one, right? Why not tell why not just telling them what to do? Well, we know from the psych literature that when you command someone, right? When you say, hey, You've got to do this. There's a, there is a very natural screw you response to being commanded or told that you have to do someone, even by someone who you're, you know, on paper paying to tell you what to do. Yeah. So we know that there's this very natural pushback, this, you know, this desire not to have our freedom limited. And we also know that that advisors want to engender a two-way sort of reciprocal relationship, right? Like you're bringing them into the fold. 
you're giving them advice. Like, right, you've mm -hmm. you've narrowed the universe of options from effectively infinity to two. So, you know, you're you're adding value, <clears throat> but you're also enlisting their help and getting their buy-in. So again, this is another River Jordan suggestion yeah. to, to give people two, mm -hmm. two options instead of just telling them what to do is so powerful. So connection, context, and choice. I absolutely love that. And we'll be using that. So everybody, I sent Laura all these questions and now I've skipped them all. <laughs> so, That's all right. We got, we got her all these prep questions and I've asked her none of them. But now I'm going to, as we begin to wrap up, I will ask you one. Uh -huh. You know, when, when we look at the research about how people do who work with a financial advisor versus those who go it alone, you know, those who... Uh, work with an advisor, enjoy a host of advantages, everything from, you know, better communication with their spouse to uh, higher returns. And it, when we look at and kind of drill down why that's the case, it's, it's because folks are using advisors as decisional guides. When they come to these sort of forks in the road of their financial lives, the, the financial advisor is a, is a savvy decisional guide. And you've suggested and found in some of your research and your work that that working with the nervous system directly can can have a positive impact on our ability to make decisions. Can can you talk about how that's true generally and then perhaps why it might be true of, of financial decisions in specific? Yeah, great question. So I kind of want to take it back to the beginning when I was talking about the different states of the system and how there's these hierarchical states, right? So when we're, and none of these states are bad, so I just want to preface that if you're going to fight or flight, that's not a bad thing. We need to go into fight or flight. So the issue becomes when you're chronically living in that state. So that's the issue. So we want to talk about then this aspect of like, well, let's say you're in a, you're chronically living in this fight or flight response, which I think a lot of people are. And so you don't have full access, like I mentioned, to different regions of your brain that would allow you to really think critically and think bigger picture and think innovatively and creatively and all the things. And specifically your prefrontal cortex, because I call that your moneymaker. I tell people that like we that's your moneymaker. Like that's where your ideas come from. That's how you um, are able to sort of plan or like, again, like think for the future is like that region of your brain. And you don't have it fully accessible to you when you're in a chronic fight or flight response. So by working with the nervous system, you can move the system out of that chronic habitual being in that, in that state so that you have more access to that part of your brain that's actually going to make you more money in, in, in a sense, because you'll, you'll be able to kind of assess the situation thoroughly, not just through the lens of this like very myopic, like black or white context or view. You're going to be able to see a bigger view. You're going to have more, it's going to be more nuance and you're going to be able to see like the path ahead. So this is where I talk about like the state first. So like rewiring the system, changing the database of information that's kind of stored in there, even so that you often have good relationships even with money because money, man, it's so loaded. Like mm. <laughs> there's so much emotion that's because it's connected to our survival, right? So it's not that all anxiety is ever going to go away probably around money because there's a connection to our survival, but there is a way to make new associations within the nervous system around your investments, checking your investments, the communication that you're having with your advisor so that your system's not consistently equating 
why don't you look at it, for example, your portfolio with like high levels of anxiety? Like, hey, now we got to like really, you know, pump in the stress chemistry and just the brain's turning off. And then you're that, that part of the brain's turning off the prefrontal cortex and you're not able to like really see the bigger picture. And you may even then act impulsively. It's, you know, talking about that as your moneymaker, I, and where all your good ideas come from, as you were, as you were talking just then, I was reflecting on the early days of COVID and just, I felt like, you know, as someone who I feel like usually has lots of ideas, like, you know, whether it be ideas for, you know, business products or then my next book or whatever, I think back on those early days of COVID, we didn't know much about the virus. My kids' school world was falling apart, right? Uh, work was uncertain. The market was down. Work was crazy because for me, because I was trying to keep everyone, you know, sort of else in their seat while my own portfolio is crashing. In like the hose of ideas was just kinked. Like I was dumb as a rock. Like I felt stupid for months because it's like all I could do, you know, worry about grocery store shortages and like how to educate my kids. And like, there were, there were so many worries coming at once that there was no space for that sort of idea flow. And like, I would do stuff at night. Like I would play video games at night, which I never do, but that's all, you know, all like all I had capacity for. So it's only after we sort of manage this, you know, this this sort of always on nervous system fatigue yeah. that we're going to clear the clear the lane for those good ideas to flow. So you've been absolutely awesome today. I I want to uh, give you a chance to shout out your own work, but I, I we'll make it a two parter. If okay. people are intrigued, right? Like if people are intrigued by these ideas today. Where can they find find out more about you and your work? And then what is a, a another book or resource or, or video or whatever that you would encourage them to check out as well? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Laura Larios. And then you can also find me on Instagram. I'm on where there are a lot, actually. Uh, it's Laura Lisa Larios. And I also have my website, lauralisalarios.com. And if they want to read more, a little bit more about my my work, so I do have a masterclass that's in my, you can um, see in my Instagram, you could go there, there's a link tree, there's a masterclass that I did about the nervous system, and I went over some of the things that we talked about today, the three C's, for example. Um, some of those examples in that particular video are going more towards like maybe uh, entrepreneurs or, or even coaches, but it's you can still kind of apply it to any industry. Um, but yeah, that's where I would kind of check out, check out some things for me. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's it's really neat for me to see, you know, we'll call it sort of simultaneous discovery, right? Where where someone like you kind of working in this part of the world and and someone like me working in another part of the world, some of these good ideas uh converge and and we we stumble upon similar frames of thought. So that's always that's always heartening. So thank you so much. Thank you to Emily Bender for for connecting us. <laughs> And uh, hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Standard Deviations. If you can't wait till next week for more behavioral finance insights, visit www.orion.com.
All opinions expressed by Dr. Daniel Crosby and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion and its affiliate subsidiaries and employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information the participants consider reliable.